Get road trip ready with a service checkup at your local Chevy dealer. They can save you time and money and get the job done right the first time, worry-free. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for current service specials or to schedule a test drive. Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Life is good. Ann and I have been friends for a really long time. Yep, we met right out of college in our first jobs as radio producers. And we had a lot of fun living it up in the big city. And then we grew up, got married, and stood up in each other's weddings. And we had babies within weeks of each other. So we went from producers to reproducers. Which brings us to this podcast. We want to talk about topics that interest us and you. And let's be honest, this year, there's no shortage of stuff to cover. We're average, not experts. So we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I fully expect to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we already have. So welcome to Apparently. Life is good. So apparently summer vacation is almost over. Isn't the phrase, all good things come to an end, Anne? That's how the saying goes. Yep. And yep. and if it wasn't so bad already, the fact that like a month and a half ago, I feel like I was in Target and the back to school supplies were there. I feel like it was Fourth of July in the in, in the back of the store, and I'm just like a ton of bricks. Like, oh my god, we just got out of school. Please stop. <laughs> well, and my husband just went to Costco, and there are winter clothes. Oh my god. I was like, what? Yeah. What? There's no sense. I just, it's all topsy-turvy. But anyway, after the last year and a half, I hope that families have been able to refuel, relax, finally see those family and friends again this summer that, you know, we had to put a pause on road trips and stuff maybe last year and seeing people. And so I'm hoping that this past summer was therapeutic for lots of people and making memories and doing all those activities that we, we know and love once again. So I can't believe we've gone this whole summer in and I haven't seen you. That's really sad. In fact, I was thinking about that because I, I saw your sister last weekend. My front door has become a revolving door. It's like our family had only so much it could take of being alone. And then it has just opened the floodgates. So we have been seeing friends, family, grandmas, grandpas, you know, it, it has been nonstop. And now, of course, you know, we've got the Delta variant, so who knows what comes next? We're, we're all making up for lost time. Well, the last year was anything but normal. If you can even use the word normal anymore, it kind of feels like a strange world that we're living in these days. Yeah, I don't think normal is a thing anymore. Um, will you ever ride on an airplane without a mask? Or uh, will you shake hands with people, especially people you're just meeting? And then, you know, will our kids ever be in classrooms and school cafeterias without social distancing and eating with their masks over their faces? <laughs> I think some of that, yes, and maybe some of that, no. I was doing some reading for today's podcast, and um, this fall, nearly 56.6 million children will be heading back to elementary, middle, or high school. And unlike last year, where parents were, we all learned the words that we have come to hate, like hybrid, remote, (laughs) in-person, adaptive pause, all those quarantine, this year is supposed to be different. Right. So in Illinois, remote learning is no longer an option, and kids will be back sitting at desks in classrooms with passing periods and lunch again, wearing masks. Yeah, I read one report um, that said more than a million children in the last year have lost a primary or secondary caregiver to COVID. And that kind of sat with me. I was like, wow, that that's a lot. The virus has completely disrupted and stressed 
every aspect of every people's lives. And in this one report, a doctor said, we need to be aware of children carrying more than just a pencil or a paper in their backpacks this fall. And I read that two times and I'm like, figuratively, like, that's true. And man, the social impact and the emotional impact of the last year is the weight they're also carrying in their backpack. Yep. Common Sense Media conducted a study and found that more than half, so 51% of young people uh, who reported a COVID-19 infection in their family also report symptoms of moderate to severe depression. And 36% of those who didn't experience that COVID-19 related illness, they also reported symptoms of depression. And I've seen that firsthand in, in our friends and family. Totally. In my circles as well. So that's why I think it's important we talk about how to prepare our kids for this school year and kind of help them get through their funk, their anxiety. I mean, kids had anxiety before COVID-19 and this year might look a little different, but I think for the most part, schools are really, really trying to get back to regular school days. Yeah, but what's regular, right? The kids who walked out of school in March of 2020 aren't the same students entering the building this August or September of 2021. I I would agree wholeheartedly with that statement, but we, we're going to give it our damnedest. We're going to try really hard. So to talk about reentry into a full in-person school day, we're bringing in our FOP, friend of podcast, Dr. John Duffy. He's a clinical psychologist, best-selling author who's worked with teens and families for nearly 20 years. And I'm totally stoked. I would drink beer with this guy or go have a coffee and we could talk. I could talk his ear off for like four hours. Thanks for joining us, John. So good to be here, Tracy. So good to be here, Anne. Good to talk to you guys. And um, oh my gosh, it's just hearing the statistics that you are just rattling off. It, it just, it, it, my, I feel my shoulders sagging, like you know. Um, you, and just that last one, you know, that the kids going back to school now are different than the kids that walked out of school March twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth of last year, and that that is as true a statement as I've ever heard. Yep. So let's talk about the first couple weeks of school, John. Are there things we can do to ease the transition? You know, I'm thinking about, you know, years past and, and Trace and I have joked about this, like when summer ends and school starts and you slam into the wall of having a new schedule with enforced bedtimes and packing lunches and doing all the stuff that has to get done. How can we ramp up gently to help our kids adapt? Well, part of it is what we would do if this had never happened, if all of this COVID stuff had never taken place. And you think about like, you know, what you might have done with your kid if they were starting um, a new school year or starting at a new school, uh, you would you might take them over to the school and walk through their day with them, right? You know, okay, so you're going to start here. This is a long walk to second period if they're they're in passing periods, if they're old enough to be doing that. Or if you've got a, a little um, to walk them through the just the elementary school and maybe meet one of the adults or two. Um, for the kids I work with, I'm encouraging them to talk, make sure that they have a talk with their advisor. Um, maybe stop in and see a school social worker a day or two before school starts to kind of make sure that they 
are prepared to use the tools at their disposal over the course of the school year in not an alarming way, not in in reaction to something terrible that's happened or, you know, a rough day, but in preparation for the possibility of it so that they feel like, okay, I've got friends, I've got allies, I've got all these adults here who will help me get through these days, you know? Um, And so it's kind of like what you would do normally on steroids a little bit, right? You know, because I encourage everybody to, everybody to do this, even if you feel like, oh, I have a really well-adjusted kid who doesn't seem depressed and doesn't seem anxious. I seem, I, I think any kid who um, has been through this pandemic and every single kid has can use a way to ease into the school year. And I think that's a good way to do it. And if you can get into the school a, a week or two early and walk through it, that kind of thing pays off dividends. It it worked last year for a lot of my clients. So what about like in normal days, there was school refusal. That was like a big thing, like kids anxious about going into school. Well, I feel like speaking of steroids, I feel like that might even be amped up even more because, you know, in some states and in some school districts, they never were in person last year. Or very rarely, like for the last three weeks, maybe. So how can we help the kids who may be resistant to going back in person because of a fear or anxiety that's been pent up, whether someone like over a million kids had COVID affect them in their home, like somebody, their mom or dad or grandma had it. So what if they're just like scared to death <laughs> about going back Yes. Um, and, and, and trying to encourage them to go? Yeah, Tracy, um, we are on such the same page today. I submitted a story this morning to CNN about school refusal. This, it, it, this is on my mind so heavily this summer. Uh, a year ago, I was concerned that we were going to see um, an increase in school refusal. And in my area, uh, myself, the therapists around me, we saw an enormous increase um, this year. After you're right, uh, everything we've been through, people who have actually lost family and friends, people who've had, um, you know, friends uh, go into the hospital, um, all these issues that have taken place and, and all the iterations that school took in the past year. Right. Where, OK, I'm I'm hybrid this week and then after spring break and we're going back full time and, you know, and trying to keep all this stuff straight. Um, kids are, are super skeptical and school refusal is going to come way easier now to kids, unfortunately, than it has in the past. It is not such an anomaly, the idea of being at home all day long. And so part of the reason I'm kind of impressing on parents, like, let's get your kids into the building, like, you know, being really pragmatic about it and, and show them that being in that place is not in and of itself a scary thing. You know, that this is, this is a viable thing. There are people there to take care of you. Um, it, it, it will be safe even if it's a little funky and a little weird. Most of our kids are actually used to that, unfortunately, right? They're used to it being odd. So we just want them to get used to being in the building. And so, you know, like I, I think the longer we let our kids take, you know, mental health day after mental health day after sick day after I just don't want to go day. Getting them back in the building is just an enormous task that requires a, a huge team of adults. And if we can prevent that on the front end and get our kids acclimated and make this as normal and abnormal year as we possibly can, I think we right. have to do that. Um, we have to get them in there. 
it's kind of like exercise, like, ah, oh, God, I don't want to do it. And then you exercise and you're like, damn, that was awesome. That I feel so good. <laughs> you, they just need to get in the building. My, my daughter had a open house at her high school last week and I forced her to go. Okay. Cause I, they they made a new improvements and I wanted to see it personally. I wanted to see what it looked like. And then you go in there right. and it just, I think they just need to get in there and then it will come back to them, but they just need to be nudged just a little bit. Especially after the year of isolation, I know my younger daughter um, really spent quite a bit of time in her bed. Yeah. Because there was no pressure to not. And, you know, we were working, we were very busy. So I think just getting up and getting out, being in motion. What is it, inertia? You know, objects in motion, stay in motion. Yeah. Objects at rest, stay at rest. Yeah. So just getting them there. To your point, Anne, um, that that shift from inertia to movement, I think, is going to be our biggest struggle in the next six weeks or so. And um, I worked with a young man who told me a couple weeks ago he just started a job where he worked a six-hour shift and then came into my office here. And he said, I am exhausted. I don't think I have stood up for six hours in a year and a half. And he was not being hyperbolic. He meant that, you know, like he really hasn't done that. And so um, you're right that, you know, the idea of getting our kids moving and acclimated to moving, we need to start that now. You know, if you're listening to the podcast right now, the more your kids are moving, doing something around the house, going and checking out an open house at school, going to, you know, um, a, a fair where they show, okay, these are the different things you can sign up for, but get them going, get them moving um, and and do it as, as quickly as you can. And um, if you need to ease into it, fine. But some movement every single day is imperative. So what are some signs that our kids might actually like what what should we be looking for or, or recognizing their stress and, and when we might need some help, like somebody outside of mom or dad or grandma or somebody that to, to help them? It's a, it's a huge and, and really important question. Uh, so what we're looking for are um, big shifts in behavior. But now, you, usually in my field, we're looking for shifts in behavior over a very short period of time. Now we can be talking about, you know, shifts in behavior over the course of well over a year, right? But the shift would look like, um, wow, uh, she is typically such a social kid. And now she's up in her bedroom all the time. And I don't even know what's going on. The door's closed and there's a screen on. And so they're either on Netflix or playing video games, or looking at Snapchat or Instagram, but nothing's really happening. They're not moving. They're not engaging with other people. They uh, come down, eat with the family, and then they're gone. They're right back up in their rooms. And um, you, you were talking about anxiety and depression earlier, both of you. And um, I am finding more and more, especially over the course of the pandemic, the distinction is important, but it's not the most important thing because the behavior tends to look the same. It's usually isolating, um, it's short-tempered, and it is disengaged. Um, so the, to the extent that we can get our kids engaged in discussions, in getting out there and going on vacation and taking a bike ride or taking the dog out for a walk, anything that gets them moving and going, we want to kickstart them, you know, because to no fault of their own, our kids are inert in ways that kids shouldn't be, right? We know those young bodies need to move, right? In order for mind, body, and spirit to align, the body has to be going. And right now, 
a lot of kids that they just don't have the vehicle for that or they're not accustomed to the vehicle for that. So we need to provide the avenues for that. Um, but what we're really looking for is that isolating behavior, um, a shift in mood that is, that's pretty profound, um, usually in the downward direction. But even if your child is super, super upbeat, all of a sudden, that's worth watching too. That's not always the best sign, you know, like we're looking for stability in mood. Um, and connection, connection with the family, connection with their friends. And to the extent that your child is disengaged and disconnected, uh, we want to find ways to re-engage them. If you are seeing difficulty in those three areas, then you probably want to seek out somebody in my profession, a therapist who um, I, I don't care what degree they have. What I want them to have is some experience working with kids your child's age and somebody who's been working over the course of this pandemic so they have some vibe and some feel for what this is like. True. So to, to piggyback on something you just said, like if there's inertia like that, like, do you have to practice tough love and literally say, get the hell out of that? <laughs> like, like, how do you do you say just go? You have to go out. That's your one task for the day. Like, because sometimes it, it, when they're in that space, it could be combative, like where then it's a then it's World War Three. Yeah. All right. So um, we probably the three of us have talked about the emotional bank account that we have with our kids. Right. Um where uh, if we hang out, we play video games with them, we watch their show with them on Netflix, we listen to the rap music we can't stand, we are, we are depositing something in the emotional bank account. Um, getting them to move from inertia to movement, that's, that's our withdrawal. And we don't get many of them. We, you know, we, we have to deposit way, way more than we withdraw. But yes, um, that is uh, if we get one thing over the course of the day where they're actually going to listen to us, you know, that's to my thinking more important than anything else we can have our kids doing. And this I'm asking a lot of parents here, right, because I'm asking them to forego the chores and the bed that's not made and the the attitude that we can't stand and all these other things in order to get your kid just moving. It's get out the door and don't come back for a few hours, you know. But yes, I am saying with school that close, you know, we're only a couple weeks out and for some kids less than that. Uh, yes, I think it's really urgent that that be the primary thing the kids are doing right now is getting out and about and just getting acclimated to not just being in school, but just being out of their room and out of the house. It's a big deal right now. Right. How important is routine when it comes to getting kids back in, in, into in-person learning? And I'm thinking like the get out the door in the morning routine, you know, the packing, the lunch, the homework routine. But I'm also thinking about the real logistical problems that some of us are going to face when, so I have to go back to my office in September, and there will be a time when I'm trying to get myself to my work, and I'm trying to get them to their schools, and sometimes I feel like I want to say, you know, mom's stressed out too. <laughs> John, <Right>. help me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's okay to say that. Um, I think it's okay. I, I'm all for the family meeting. Um, I'm not for the long family meeting. So I think it's important, like maybe to in the next few days to sit down with your entire family and say, okay, think we're about, we're all about to make this big, awesome switch. As, uh, you know, especially if you've got littles, you want to be, you want to create some excitement around that, right? So we've been through 
all of this time where things are really weird. And I can't promise you things aren't going to be a little weird going forward. But one thing we know is in the next couple of weeks, things are going to change. So we're going to start with little changes now. So we're all going to get up a little bit earlier. We're all going to make our beds. You guys are responsible for making your own breakfast. If that's a thing that you're normally used to doing during the school year and start creating some sense of routine. And I, I'm not against building in, Hey, I, I, um, mom's busy. Mom cannot do all of it. So I'm counting on you guys to do your share. And we're going to get a little practice effect going here. And you guys might not love that, but it's, Trust me, it's going to work better than if we wait till day two or three of school to try to put all this together. So we're going to start now. We're going to start practicing our mornings in particular, because when, when Tracy, when you talked about school refusal, that's a morning thing, right? If you can get our kid to school, they're by and large going to stay there. Um, so right. it's really kind of starting on that right foot. And there's no reason not to get that started now. You know, like to wait is folly to think like, okay, we're just going to be able to start a brand new school year and everyone's just going to fall in line in the household on day one. Um, I I think we're kidding ourselves and a lot of families are going (laughs) to hit a wall there. (laughs) I really do. Yep. Agreed. So um, one of the things I've I've been reading about and just from talking to my circle of friends, what what can we do to support the kids that are what I would call in between kids? We're, we're talking about kids who are going from elementary to middle school or middle school to, to high school where, I mean, it's a big transition in a regular time. And to go from the elementary school where you're in your same, you know, your same classroom all day with the same 24 kids or whatever to going and having passing periods and stuff. How, how can we support them now that things are going to look different for them, too? Is that going back to what you said earlier with like having them go check out the school ahead of time or walk their schedule? Yeah, that's part of it for sure, um, because I think we would normally do that, right? When my son made his transitions, you know, we made sure that, you know, we walked the schedule with him or made sure he knew where his homeroom was, things like that. I think that's really important. I think it's also important to acknowledge, at least in our minds, hey, this has been a very weird year and a half for our kids. So we, we need to extend a degree of grace to them um, and, and maybe bend over backwards a little bit in creating a sense of excitement about this new chapter, but also recognizing like, this is going to be scary for them. In all likelihood, if they were going to be anxious moving from one school to another before doing this in the wake of a pandemic where we really haven't had a normal school year in a couple of years, there's it's even more anxiety is going to be at play. So I think it's reasonable to sit your child down one by one and ask them, you know, how are you feeling about the school year coming up? And let that let the line out on that a little bit. And if they're a little bit nervous, you know, let them talk about it. And and I'm finding with the kids I work with in I'm pointing next door to where I typically do my therapy work. Um, when I let them just talk about the anxiety a little bit, they get it out. And then they're ready to like go. They're ready to move on. They don't need a whole lot of intervention in terms of like, you know, okay, what do I do moment to moment, day to day? And we can talk strategy. Oh, you can go to the school nurse. You can go to see the social worker if you get really upset or anxious. But by and large, most kids just need to say like, this feels so weird. 
You know, like this feel, and that's what I'm hearing from kids is, you know, like a new school year just feels weird because I haven't really had that in any normal way in so long. And if we're being honest, guys, kids are also saying to me, I'm not even sure I'm looking at a normal school year now. Like, you know, right. I think we're going to start normally, but I don't know whether I'm wearing masks in the hallways. I don't know whether the whole place is going to shut down a month in, you know, um, and they will tell me, and you, you guys, your generation, you can tell me all day long. Oh no, this is the, this is the normal one. But you said that last time and you said that the semester before that. So we're not going to necessarily buy into that. So allow us to talk a little bit about like, you know, our anxiety about like, what if this doesn't, what if this goes sideways? What if there's another big spike because of a Delta variant or a Lambda variant or whatever's coming next? And, you know, then what are we going to do? How's it going to look? And and what our job is to provide them some degree of hope, you know, like, hey, even if this gets um, a little weird, we are going to do our level best to make this as normal as possible for you. Because now we've got, we've had practice with this. We adults, we get it better than we used to. And so we're going to be able to make even better decisions than we did last year, even if something goes sideways. So, John, there are some very strong opinions on either side about mask mandates and COVID protocols. How can we navigate these different opinions and perspectives with our kids? And how can we turn these situations into teachable moments? Yeah, um, I think the first thing (laughs) is so it's so big, right? Because we were talking before we started about how we adults are doing a terrible job at this, right? So and we're expecting these kids to kind of rise to this occasion. Um, I think the best way to get started is to listen, um, to get your kids talking about how they feel about the idea of having to wear a mask at school and, you know, having to keep distance and, you know, and how they feel about all these protocols, whether they think they're fair or wildly unfair. And you're going to get different things from different kids. Um, but I think the more you let the line out, and you give them uh, credit for being critical thinkers and even young kids. Um, there's somebody down the hall from me who works with like six, seven, eight-year-olds. And it is stunning the degree to which these kids think this stuff through and have thoughts and opinions about them. I tend to work with teens and tweens. Um, they absolutely do. And some of them are not the opinions I necessarily share, but it is impressive that they've generated an opinion that's thought through and thoughtful and, um, and not just born of anger or politics, but really common sense, you know? So to, to let them talk about how they feel um, is really, really important. It doesn't necessarily mean like, okay, we're going to change the rules to match what you want, but at least they feel heard. And I swear you guys, if there's anything I hear from kids more than anything else that they want, it's just to have a voice, just to feel heard on their point of view. So I, my, my bias is let the line out on their point of view and then let them know like, okay, well, here's what the rules are going to be. Here's, you know, at least to start, here's what the regulations are going to be. So you're, and that's right in line with what you want, or this is so different than what you're, what you're picturing. I wonder if things are going to change in that direction in any way, you know, um, but an open discussion where you listen more than you talk. I think that's what works best. So listen and not, but not argue, because in my opinion, adults are doing a really crappy job of taking in all points of view 
in my opinion. Um, I mean, just go on social media and it's, it's, it's toxic. Everyone's like, get off my lawn. (laughs) Like you don't have the same opinion. And also, Tracy, I think that the adults are telling their kids what they think, and now the kids are bringing it to each other. So, so but that's not the politics. That's not what. So, John, do you think that maybe a little bit of it is actually like? Do you really think that the kids that are talking to you, it's actually their genuine original thought, or is it trickling down from something that they heard in their house? Because that's what I feel like it is. Uh, oftentimes, it is. Um, every once in a while, you guys, though a kid really comes up with an original thought and will even point out like, this isn't what my parents believe, you know, like I think differently than they do. Uh, but oftentimes, you know, there, the toxicity runs down the family tree, unfortunately. Right. Um, and so, you know, the best I think we can do those of us who have um, the ear of kids who are not directly related to them and don't have that kind of deep vested interest in exactly driving what they think and feel if we can just get them to think as critically as possible, you know, and sometimes to play with like, okay, so what, what do you think somebody who feels completely different than you might think, you know, just to get them, it's kind of like the development of emotional intelligence, right? It's like, you know, like to hear somebody out with kindness, even if you disagree with them vehemently. Um, so the opportunity might not be to create the taunt around mask mandates. I don't think we're going to have the opportunity to do that. But to create like these lifelong skills, uh, which are more important in the end, uh, that I think we have the, the opportunity to do. Obviously, every family has weathered the the COVID storm differently. And so, you know, going in with the Delta variant um, in the fall and, you know, schools going back across the country, in-person learning is 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 the thing that everyone's there. There's not really a remote, at least in Illinois, there is no remote option. So what if the parents are carrying some COVID anxiety um, and how, how can they like not let it bleed over into their kids or balance like being truthful with them about their feelings, but then not scaring the crap out of them either? Does that does that question make sense? <laughs> oh, 100 percent. Yes, absolutely. Um, so uh, th- this this I run into more than the kids having COVID anxiety is the parent. And this does trickle down to kids sometimes. Um And I think the best way to handle this is um, to make sure that you have another adult, whether it's a spouse or a friend or a therapist or, you know, um, a sibling or your own parent to talk to about like your own COVID anxiety. Because, you know, I think a lot of us are have that right now. I find mine, you know, is kind of like rebuilding. And I thought like, wow, the minute that second shot went in my arm, I thought, oh, I'm done with this anxiety. I'm bulletproof now, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And now I feel like, oh, now I'm okay. Between every session, I'm making sure I have, you know, 10 feet between me and the person over there and I'm hand sanitizing and face sanitizing and everything. Um, and I, and I think it, to talk to other adults about this, instead of laying your anxieties on your kids, is really, really important. And I think a lot of us are not great at that because this becomes dinner table conversation where our anxieties, we're almost too open about them. And then our kids become anxious about things that might not have bothered them that much otherwise. So I think we have to be thoughtful, not overly cautious, but thoughtful at the very least about what it is we say about our kids and the tenor and and the tone in which we say it. Because if we're alarmed, there's no way our kids aren't going to be alarmed, right? You know, if we're, if we're exhibiting fear and a exhaustive 
pandemic fatigue, we can't expect our kids to feel like everything's fine. You know, like, no, they're going, they're going to draft off of our feelings around this. So if we kind of come into our discussions with them, having talked to other adults, I think we can kind of bring a more positive can do approach to the whole thing. Like, you know, Hey, whatever is coming our way, we're smart. We're competent. We're resilient. We're a really strong family unit. We're going to be able to navigate this storm. We've done it before. And especially because of the families that, you know, my family and Anne's family are fully vaccinated because we have, you know, uh, over 12 year old kids. So there's a lot of families that have mixed, you know, they have elementary school kids that aren't eligible for it. So they don't have that feeling like you were saying like, okay, I feel a little bit more confident because I've had the vaccine. Right, right. And I am I am hearing that, you know, some of the younger kids are not feeling as bulletproof, you know, and they're they're aware that, you know, like, wow, you you got the thing. You got the shot. Mom, dad, you know, older brother, older sister. And I don't have that. And and people my age are starting to carry this thing, you know. So um, I think we that the tone is even more important with our younger kids. So my kids go to school in Chicago, John, and uh, the teachers union here is quite strong. Um, and I love our teachers. Uh, many of my friends are teachers and they they worked tirelessly last year. I can't imagine how they did what they did. But I know that there will be some teachers who do not want to be back in the classroom. And I don't blame them in many ways. But how do we navigate a message our kids might be getting in the classroom from a teacher who legitimately is like, this is really crazy, the Delta variant, blah, blah, blah. I mean, should we serve as interpreters or translators for our children and say, this is what your teacher might be feeling? And can you imagine how you would feel? I mean, how do we handle that? It's a great, great point, Anne. And it's an opportunity, again, to kind of teach that, you know, empathy and emotional intelligence, like, you know, picture what it's like to be your teacher, you know, like and how, you know, uh, picture being up in front of the room and you're looking out and you've got those 25 or 30 faces or whatever coming at you. And, you know, like if somebody coughs, if somebody sneezes, I wonder what that feels like, you know, and get them thinking that way. So if they get a vibe from the teacher, you're right that, you know, like, ooh, I don't, I don't necessarily want to be here or I'm at least a little nervous. Get them understanding like, you know, oh, it makes sense to be nervous in that situation. Totally get it. Right. You know, so my teacher might be a little bit nervous and 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 the lesson learned in there, just understanding the emotions of somebody else. Again, I'm kind of like skirting around covid and thinking like this is the stuff that makes people successful. Right. Is is recognizing their own feelings, understanding the feelings of other people. This is how kids stay off my couch, to be honest, you know what I mean? In a lot of ways or <laughs> stay off my couch with any great degree of urgency, you know, um, is, is that they get it. They, they understand the human condition to a great extent. And that's a great way to teach it to them is to, is to really like put them in, in the teacher's shoes. Um, so that, and, and if they run into that, they can be at least empathic and it might modulate their level of anxiety. They're the kids. Good point. Good to know. So one of the other things that's top of the mind, um, in, at least in the circles that I've run in, is where we're returning to normal activities like last year in middle school, there was no middle school sports or the clubs were virtual um, at elementary school. Um, I know in my community, I'm really hopeful for all these clubs to return because I feel like these extracurricular activities are going to be like the bridge or the saving grace for a lot of these kids that didn't have any outside than sitting in the rows, 
six feet apart in a classroom in a sterile environment. How can we build the stamina to join those clubs again? Or, or you kind of touched on this earlier, but to, to try to get them, okay, let's, why don't you try out for volleyball or why don't you join the math club or whatever when they're just like yeah. kind of lazy or they're just tired. Uh, it, or scared. It, it, yeah. All of it. Um, it, it's, it's the way to kind of inoculate our kids from school refusal, right? Because the club is usually, if they're engaged in it, a reason to go in the first place, right? Because, you know, if you don't go to the club unless you go to school, I'm with you, Tracy. I hope all every extracurricular activity is to the extent it's safe, really, really back, um, and ready to go because this is what gets kids engaged and, um, keeps a lot of the problems, that um, I most worry about anxiety, depression, screens, um, the, the, for older kids, the draw of drugs and alcohol and stuff like this uh, in the margins, right? So as long as you're on the stage or in the orchestra pit or on the track or the field or in the pool or whatever, whatever the extracurricular thing is, the better off you are. You have a couple hours a day of sanctuary and something that you want to do. So I was talking about that bank account, that emotional bank account earlier. This is another uh, another withdrawal is to say to your kids, hey, you know what? You're going to do something extracurricular. You can pick what it is, but it's not going to be that thing that meets once a month. You know, um, we're, we're not going to kid ourselves. <laughs> we need you. You're, you're, you're engaging. You're going to be, you know, doing the sport. Uh, you're going to be sweating or learning or, you know, strumming or something. Creating. After school. Making. For creating yeah. somehow. Yes. Yes. And, and, and those kids that are engaged, we just know they do so much better than kids who just go through those six or seven hours and come, come right home and turn on a screen, right? So the, the, the more our kids are engaged, the more school becomes just ordinary to them, right? They don't think about it. And I think we want to get our kids back to that. And it's tricky, but extracurricular stuff, that's going to help a lot. So please, let's bring that stuff all back. So John, and I, I hope this is not true, but do you think that vaccination and masking will be points of contention among our kids? You did like... Will our kids feel pressured um, because of the politics around vaccination and masking? Will will that be a way that they could be bullied? Um, yes, uh, I hate to say I hate to answer that in the affirmative, but I know that you are right. This is a great question, um, and it's something I think we adults have to watch out for. Is like too much, you know, debate around this stuff. Um, kids are actually better at this than we are, to be honest, you know, they get less heated sometimes and listen to each other better, but it can also, um, with, uh, the teenage kids I work with, with younger kids can reel out of control as well. So I think we have to keep our eyes on what will be, and kind of is a new method of bullying. And when you weave kind of the politics of all of this into it, um, it gets even worse and more complicated. And um, and there is already, you know, outside of school, there is name calling, there is bullying. It's happening online. It's happening in parks around here where I am. Um, and so that is a whole new element of dissent among kids that I think we're going to have to attend to, unfortunately. Um, and there's an opportunity there to kind of teach empathy and emotional intelligence and listening skills and all that as well. But if that does get out of control, we do have to intervene too. 
Man, I, the adults are just doing such a terrible job. I, I must I must have a bad day today. <laughs> I just have a very negative Nelly uh, opinion because I think I just need to take social media off my phone and that then I might like be better off. But seeing the way adults talk to each other about stuff doesn't give me a whole lot of hope about how the kids are going to handle it down. Um, I, but talking I hear to you, you gives us a little hope. <laughs> Oh, and you guys, quite honestly, kids are way better at this than adults are. They are way better at listening. They are Thank God. way better at understanding one another. And I'm not kidding. Like, even like um, the most politically opposed kids can find, can at least listen to each other. And it is impressive. There is something we can certainly learn from them, no doubt. There's hope for the future then. <laughs> I believe that, yes. Thank you so much for joining us today, John. Um, it's been a, a long time since we've had you on, and we love talking to you. And like I said earlier, I could sit at a bar with you for a couple hours, and we could shoot the breeze about all this stuff. So thank you so much fleshing out all the things that are kind of going on in, in parents' minds right now as we look to the end of August, beginning of September in school. And thanks, John, for the work you're doing with all the kids you talk to, because, you know, it all adds up. Totally. Well, and thank thank you, Ann and Tracy, um, for the work you're doing here on the podcast and everything you do for our kids. Um, I am grateful to the two of you um, forever. And it's so fun to talk to you. Stay safe. You too. (laughs) So apparently the end of summer vacation means a lot more this year to all of us. And it's going to take a lot of listening and reacting and probably pivoting. For us to make the transition safe and positive for our kids. You know, and I know one thing that parents could positively work on that would help us survive the school year and allow for more episodes of absolutely average parents and podcasters. Well, Tracy, what could that be? The homework assignment for these parents, I think, (laughs) is to tell your friends and family about our little podcast and follow us on iTunes. Yeah, we'd love you to rate us or leave a review. Uh, We'd be forever grateful. And we want your feedback and suggestions. So if you have a suggestion for us to make something better or for a topic, please let us know. Check out our Facebook page and share our posts if you like them. You can reach us via email uh, at podcast at gmail.com. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Tracy Weiner. And I'm Ann Johnsos. Thanks for listening to Apparently. 